When I think of uh, SQL Server, I do a moment of silence for all those dev div meetings rooms in Microsoft with people yelling at each other. Can you imagine what that was like? Just... JetBrains Space, a unified platform for the entire software development pipeline and team collaboration. Combine Git hosting, code reviews, CICD packages, planning tools, issues, documents, chats, and blogs all in one place. Bring your software teams together to communicate and deliver high-quality code faster. Get started for free at jetbrains.space. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to discuss all things software programming, code, and technology. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, with my wonderful co-hosts, Paul and Sarah. Hello. Hey. All right. We got some technology out there. Is there some technology going so. on? Yeah, all kinds of tech going on. I have two stories that I shared with y'all today to discuss or possibly to discuss. The first is called the half-life of code. Uh, just about like, if you work on something, how long should you expect it You know, to be valuable and worthwhile to you before you might have to replace it, deprecate it, update it? And the second one was a piece published on the Stack Overflow blog called Sacrificial Architecture, Learning from Abandoned Systems, which is about how and when to make the decision to sort of you know, completely refactor or, you know, redo your architecture. All right. So that first, that first question, the question is, what's the half-life of your code, right? Like how long is it going to last and be functional? The answer to that is really wild because sometimes in the, there's one example given in the piece where it's like six weeks, you just refactored everything, everything vanished. (laughs) But then there's also those moments where you pick up something you worked on, like, 14 years ago or the GitHub repo from early GitHub days where you're like, where somebody's like, Hey, I I picked this up and started using it. And you're like, no, 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 don't go in there. Right. Like a horror movie. What about you, Sarah? Where (laughs) have you ever dealt with your own ghost code? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's really shameful. And you don't remember, like, I don't know her. I would. I don't. I don't remember her. I don't know the person that wrote this thing. Oh yeah, who was that? You know what else? Though? I will say. Very often you go back. Sometimes you go back and you're like, a garbage monster was here. That otherwise there's no explanation. But other times you go back and you're like, this is perfectly fine. If you'd asked me what kind of programmer I was, I would have said I'm a terrible one and I should never have been allowed to write code ever. But then you read it and you're like. It's okay. Like it could yeah, be better. that rarely happens. I feel like, but that definitely, ha- and that's nice. That's the nice time that that happens. Well, see, you're, you're taking like, oh, a like that's nice. Thing. I'm like, oh god, I've learned nothing in 12 years. That's that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. You're, you're actually not as bad a programmer as you think you are. I think I, I, that is true, right? Yeah, like, that's the number one thing we should tell new programmers. That's like the number one. If you're not as bad as you think you are, I think that's always true. Simultaneously, you're much much worse. Much worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's really tricky. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that Sandy talks about is the half-life of code and re, uh, writing code in a way that it's easily replaceable as a way right. to optimize for that. And so a lot of what I did after reading this article was start to think about what that looks like. Well, these are the two great the two great dreams of everyone in technology are reusable code and good documentation. 
right? That's, yeah. that's the, the infinite. And, and reusable code, like that gets all the way up to full-on object-oriented. You know, you don't repeat yourself. Modular, yeah. Everything's modular. Here's a class library. And you should only have to kind of glue things together. And then there's the kind of like, well, everything is clearly documented. There's the famous Donald Knuth line, sort of that code is is really kind of communication between people that that's only supposed to be incidentally operated by a computer. And so the reality is that, you know, and, and we, I think we can just be frank about this. We're on the Stack Overflow podcast. Like reality is a lot harder to modularize when you're doing your job every day. It, it's just, yeah. you're going to cut and paste a lot. I don't think we should penalize people for that. I do think, and also when does the boss ever say, hold on, the smart thing to do is to take a month, modularize, organize our thinking, and build a library so that we can build on top of what we're doing. The people who do that yeah. like work at Microsoft. Yeah, no, I think that's yeah, I think that's true. I think it's really easy to write modular, reusable, and replaceable code when you're writing Greenfield, right? It's like, you know, I'm thinking from the beginning, but when you're in when you're writing a feature, you're in the middle of someone's um, class that was created 10 years ago. There's function on top of function in there. You need to shoehorn your feature in while changing a bunch of other things. You only have a week to do it. I think it gets a lot harder. That's the mm. thing, object-oriented code, right? And, and sort of modular code often makes more sense when you truly are modeling out a thing that is a little less abstract, like, oh, shoes. Well, shoes have laces, you know, or like, you know, things that you can look at and be like, oh, okay, well, we're going to. We're going to add methods here that, you know, let you add a, you can add ears to your dog or whatever the hell it is. And then <laughs> there's the whole part of modular code where it's like connect to API single thing class unless failure. Yes. That's the name of it. <laughs> where you're actually dealing with the things that the computer is all about. And that is always to me. When yeah. you read that stuff, you're like, oh, this is where you need geniuses. Because we're now talking about abstractions. Not of like a world that I can internalize and understand. Like a hand has fingers. Oh, cars have wheels. Wee. And then it's like, <laughs> no, but, you know, you also have a Byzantine general synch synchronizing problem when you're talking to the, you know, and the ORM needs to take that into account. And you're like, not we. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes those geniuses need to say, like, I, I've seen it happen so many times where it's like, I've got this beautiful class. It's really, you know, a lot of single responsibility principle. It's super module. It's. It's, it's really beautiful. And then you have this weird edge case and you got to shove a function in somewhere and it's either going to be here or in the factory object or somewhere. And sometimes the geniuses are like, you know what? It's just going to be ugly. We just got to do it. It's yeah. either that or rewrite the whole thing. It's adult decision time, right? And that, that part yeah. sucks because everything beautiful, just at that moment, you just see all the beauty slipping away. You know, and, and especially like... It's culture, right? Like I find Python very, very easy, even abstract, weird Python, data science Python. I find it really easy to read. I'm good at reading Python. I'm less good mm. at reading JavaScript. And I actually was just thinking yesterday the reverse. I am the reverse. We make a great team. No, that's right. And, and actually, as much as people say that Python's more readable, I don't I think if you're in the culture and you know the conventions of the language, that's the one that is the most readable. Python looks a little more structured with the with the white space indenting, but ultimately 
that's actually a lesser consideration. You know, typographic formatting actually becomes like a lesser consideration when you know how to read. Like for me, when I was getting into closure and, and learning Lisp, like learning how important it was to kind of both be reading left to right and right to left, like seeing the, mm. you, know, the you know, the alligator was eating the, the different S expressions and, and kind of swallowing them up. And then, you know, then it would give me some output took me a long time to just, and it, that's not taught necessarily. You don't get taught how to read code. You get taught how to write it. Yeah. I was talking, I think reading code is a really important skill. I was just, someone was telling me about a company that does their engineering interviews by reading code together instead of writing code together or asking people to, you know, do a bubble sort or. Uh, that's so real. That's a great idea. Cause you're just like, Hey, what do you think about this? Right. Well, yeah. You know, and then actually what's interesting there is the person who is is looking at it and going like, wow, I never thought about that way, but that is a great way to solve it. That's a very powerful signal because, boy, is it nice when you read code and you're like, oh. Because that's your um, main job, isn't it? Like when you're a program, you're just like, especially when you're on a big team, is reading code. Yeah. I mean, what is an, al- you know, people are like, wow, you're going to implement algorithm. Like you implement an algorithm. It's a th- You use three letters, PIP or NPM. Yeah. You know, <laughs> those, those are the three letters that we use to implement algorithms. That's my programming language. Absolutely. NPM, whatever it's called. NPM install bubble sort. Yeah, bubble yeah. sort, all your different sorts. And, you know, and also, I, I mean, we don't really externalize this. We talk about, you know, cloud services and so on. Like, databases are just lovely collections of algorithms that operate Ooh. over sources of data, right? Like, they're just great. And they make it all really easy. And then they give you mm-hmm. interfaces like indexes. We keep, we keep thinking of databases as programming, but they're really just interfaces to algorithms that that allow for efficient retrieval and, and search yeah. of data. And thank goodness for those saints that wrote them. Oh my god! I thank sometimes goodness. I just have I have a little ca- a little candle with the Postgres core <laughs> team picture. I just every now and then I light it. SQLite's a different one. SQLite, I just like I I, I give a little. I just sort of like touch my heart every time I say it. <laughs> SQLite. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Unsolicited plug. Steve Sanofsky, who was very critical to uh, Windows development, especially in the period where it went from Vista to like 7 and and, and Mm. Microsoft was saved. An important one. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, He's got a sub stack. And it's really good. It's about early days of Microsoft. Hardcoresoftware.learnbyshipping.com, right? And Mm. it is just... I don't think it's for everybody, but if you're the sort of person who's like, oh, really? They were trying to build a, a kind of shared interoperability object layer. And my, like you actually see all the same ideas that we're dealing with now just get working out. Like, like essentially at one point he was in charge of something that was a lot like React, but inside of, you know, it was supposed to, instead of dealing across browsers with a component model, it was supposed to work inside of both Windows and OS 2. And you can see the ideas taking shape. And then at any given point, Bill Gates could show up and blow up your world. So you're just, yeah. it's the big boss, right. right? Like literally in the video. That's game always is. the fear. I like yeah. this. If he works out the history over like the course of a year of Substacks, then he'll have to turn it into a book. This sounds like that. It definitely feels like he's he's writing a book live. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, I would just like if you it's a deep nerd cut, but this audience is the one that will most align. Yeah. It's pretty good. I, yeah. I when it comes into my inbox, I won't say this about many substacks. I'm just like, oh yeah, hey. Wow. Cause instead of somebody being like, I'm gonna tell you why the economy should be reorganized along monarchical lines, it's somebody <laughs> going like, All right, I was just out of college and 
I had to think about object-oriented technology. And you're like, I can empathize with that. That makes sense. I'm gonna, I just signed up. Good, good. I haven't paid yet. You have to pay to come in. Right. You know? But, you know, I'm blurbing it. So really, is it, aren't I giving it attention as a form of payment? Yeah. You're getting out all your, all your thoughts here without paying. Nice. Right. Free rider. I like it. <laughs> in the Sacrificial Architecture post, something came up from Jeff Atwood, who's connected to Stack Overflow deeply as a co-founder. Performance is a feature, which I thought was interesting. And they were saying that a lot of times when you're creating something new, a new project, a new feature, what you want is adoption. And so you want to make sure you have this like sort of product market fit. And so performance isn't the most important thing. He was uh, using eBay as an example, which is ori- originally written in Pearl, Paul, which yeah. they called the Swiss the Swiss Army knife of coding. Well, everybody calls it that. Because it could do Pearl. so many. Di- yeah. Don't criticize Pearl. Anyone, you'll fight. If you have the good problem of, oh, suddenly I have tons and tons of users, that's when you have to think about maybe refactoring or rewriting or changing what you're working with because now you know, a few seconds here or there might make a difference against a really big competitor. Do you have experience with this? I don't know if anybody else notices this. Sorry, maybe you do. But when you log into a website and you get your password wrong, which happens to me because now 90% of my time is spent logging into websites. That's how you use the web today. <laughs> and you get your password wrong. It clearly has to do a little database check. and But it usually comes back like super fast. Oh, no password. No, no. Mm-hmm. You, you got it wrong. You want to reset. But yeah. when you log in and you get it right, it actually chews for a minute. It's like, oh, okay. And then it yeah. gets your account and it loads the whole app and so on. And that to me is like this moment of profound failure where like, oh, yeah, you, you the failure state's really easy because you're just like didn't match. The match yeah. state is like, oh, now we have to Harder. load this. Yeah, we have to load the whole app. And it's like, what have you been doing? You have my whole computer the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I waiting two seconds for a spinner so that you can give me a Kanban view? Like, yeah. we didn't, we didn't, didn't you have... already give me a hundred cookies? Exactly. See that it's me. And I always in my head, I know this is just my little name for it is the bite, like the moment where it bites down. It's, I, yeah. I don't know why I always think of it that way. But that to me is like that's the pure moment where they didn't optimize because it's my first. I'm, I'm walking back in. And instead of going like, oh, hey, Mr. Ford, good to see you. We got the we got, you know, here's your coffee. They go. Oh God, you're here! Oh, oh my goodness, oh. we haven't been expecting this. I have to hit like five <laughs> APIs. What do you? You is it decaf? Do you? Oh boy, you don't like the I curry. Have to put a sweater oh. on. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> and and this, I I think speed is really hard. It's really really hard. It's probably the hardest thing because everything that you want to build to make everybody happy is the opposite of speed. Yes, anything new, anything nice. Oh, anything your boss asks for, anything your is boss says. Slow. It's going to be, yeah. well, why don't we, blah, 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 or like the business logic, or, you know, we need to hit, what about analytics, right? I mean, there was a long period of time on the web where every ad call was blocking. And it's still, some of them still are. And that meant that the page would stop loading so that you could get the ads. And that's a, that was that moment in the like mid to late 2000s where the web just kind of died. Like you just couldn't look at anything. I definitely have had that experience. And now, right, it's given me this like backwards relationship where when I, enter a login and I click it and it sort of hangs for a second. Then I'm like, oh, good. I got it right. Yeah, like yeah. The waiting is now the good feeling of like, oh, I know I didn't mess up my password or my password plus Google Authenticator plus fingerprint ID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, the worst is when they give you the nice UX, like the Kanban, but like you move from one board to the other and then it's like, and you're like, it's, it's all in theory supposed to be instantaneous. And yeah. yet touch got, I have, t- Mobile did make people deal like mobile performance speed is really important. Like if you're if you have a yeah. slow app, 
it's bad and, and it's perceived as bad and people complain about it and give you low ratings. But like once you get into the enterprise state, like there are older versions of Salesforce. They're they're speeding it up. They called it lightning, which sounds fast. But like, you know, you'd click a drop down and, it, and then you could go get a cup of coffee, read a book. <laughs> yeah. One thing I'm obsessed with on mobile, and you can really tell when people are thoughtful about this, and this is like slowly happening, is component, individual component loading. So yeah. th- this is like a very react thing. I'm sure other, I'm sure other people are imp- implementing it is as well. Is that related well, to like, tree shaking? Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. There you go. Now you got your, t- okay. So tree shaking, component loading, sorry, cut you off. So when you when you see that like you're able to see some of your data, some of your data is coming soon. That makes me feel good. That makes me feel like the developers are thinking about my experience. The nice thing about the tree shaking and some of the JavaScript compilation environments is that with gentle hinting, the computer will do the work for you and figure out what needs to be loaded when. That is optimal. It is really hard to get this right by hand. It's almost impossible, right? Because there's so many little moving pieces. And the way that modern web apps work is you have thousands of components. and Some of them are your components and some of them are other people's components. And it's just really complicated. So when the computer is like, here are the paths that seem to be most likely. We can make the JavaScript smaller to load. That'll make the browser a little bit faster. Here we go. And then there's, you know, there's server-side rendering versus local rendering and all these things you can do. Now I've just added, if I have a year-long project, I just added two months to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a tough one to prioritize. Customers are out in the field. So making speed part of it from day one is really important. But you're also, that's a trade-off. That's absolutely a trade-off. One of the things that really frustrates me is that my MacBook has a fingerprint sensor, and yet you're never allowed to use that almost when logging in on the web. That's like one of the joys of mobile apps is like, just take my thumb and I'm in. Oh, love it. I don't understand why face. people can't just do Mine that. Mine takes my, my face. My face. Yeah, that was so to me nice. the, the absolute tragedy of Google Pixel 3 to 4 because I dropped my Pixel 3, <laughs> probably the favorite phone I ever owned because it had this little thing on the back. It, it put this fingerprint sensor on the back. So you would just like pick it right. up. Your finger actually had a place to rest to kind of hold the phone. And then that was your login. And oh, well, yeah. how have we made it this long without realizing that y'all are Androids? Oh. Are y'all Androids? Sarah, yes, of course. I mean, you know. Wow. I, I'm an iPhone. Okay. No, no. I tend to, I like to switch ecosystems whenever well, I that's pick a weird. phone. That's weird. It's good. It's healthy. <laughs> it's healthy. I don't want, yeah. it's not that I, I really care too much. I want all of the giant mega corporations to have control yeah. over my life and data. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to pick an allegiance, Paul. No, no, no. I want to please them all so that <laughs> okay. when it comes time and they, they really do run the world, they don't judge me and find me wanting. Like, you know, there'll be a point where Tim Cook is stands and, and says, let's look at how you lived your life. And I, I don't want to be right. slate. <laughs> you're, you're, then you hold up your Pixel 3 and he knows what side you're on. Yeah, it's going to be weird okay. when you go to heaven and it's either him or <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who. Yeah. Satya. Present your your mobile device at the pearly gates. This is dark. This is dark. <laughs> that is it. And when they look at your search history, that is really, yeah. Oh, it's grim. Nobody's even done that cartoon yet, where like yeah. where Saint Peter just brings up your search history and is like, "You're not coming in here. What are you talking about?" If that's the criteria, I am set. I am set. I got this Google Doc spam the other day, which is new, yeah. but yeah. it was threatening me and saying that it knows my deepest, darkest secrets. And the disgusting things in my search history. And I was like, this person <laughs> hates yoga pants. This is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know how many times you've visited <laughs> Crowd Supply. <laughs> why, why are you shopping for Raspberry Pis? You have a perfectly good supercomputer. 
<laughs> oh no, please don't tell my wife. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. I am going to read you a Lifeboat Badge winner, somebody who answered a question with a score of negative three or less, and their answer got up to a score of 20 or more, rescuing some knowledge from the dustbin of obscurity. Today's Lifeboat Badge award winner is Ishmael. Thank you, Ishmael, awarded two days ago for answering the question, JSON dumps format Python. I'm reading a JSON file, adding a field, and then writing to a new one, a new JSON file. Uh, The problem is... Uh, as you can see, this isn't a visually readable as the original file. I can read it line by line, but it's printed as one single line in Sublime Text. How do I keep that formatting? Well, there is a parameter. I won't spoil it for you, so check out the show notes, but there is a parameter to help you, my friend. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating. It really helps. Or email us podcast at stackoverflow.com. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. And yeah, and I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me on GitHub as Sarah Joe. And I'm Paul Ford from Stack Overflow. Check out my company, Postlate. And we are hiring design, engineering, and product management. Please, please take a look. Love everybody. Bye. (laughs) 